since the new year occurred on a weekend. It was indeed a full week, and it rose 1.45%. Now, this would be interesting. Let's annualize that. No. We have a 75% rise in the S&P 500 yeah, this year. that's not realistic. That's not oh, realistic. Okay. To, to, okay. It'd be okay. nice. I mean, but for some reason, I don't think every week of the year is going to be like the first week of the year. Well, you could multiply 1.45% 52 times. Yeah. And see what comes out. It's, and it's a very, very large am- amount. And yeah. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. We're here to talk to you about all things economic, Um, but before we start talking about that dismal and dreary science, we have something even more dismal and dreary, disclosures. Uh, The two people speaking to you right now. This is the most important disclosure you may hear all day. Are They are bald. Mm. They are also bearded. Mm. If this causes triggering in you for some reason, you are invited to please switch to a different station or, or turn consult, off the podcast. Or consult with a qualified counselor. Yes, immediately. Uh, a second set of disclosures. Uh, although these are uh, on a scale of uh, impact to you, probably not as important as the others. Um, the uh, the program you're listening to is the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, the name Personal Wealth Coach or the Personal Wealth Coach is also the name of an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission to give fiduciary investment advice just because it's registered and it's sort of the same people talking on here that do the firm and back and forth doesn't mean number one, that the sec thinks that we're any better than anybody else. In fact, they just know how to find us. Um, what it does mean is that we have some tighter reg- regulation on what we're allowed to say and not say. Uh, so to be very clear on that, registered to give fiduciary advice which we cannot give on the air so the in the inside of everything that we do fiduciary find the best thing for the client we can't do that on the air but we can teach you stuff so this is education not advice if it were advice we'd actually have to be one-on-one or two-on-one or some other version of wrestling where we were uh sitting together with some degree of privacy and talking to you about your individualized stuff. And I'm not even sure anybody's listening to it. Well, yep, somebody's listening. Philip, thank you for listening. He told me we need to bring it today. Yeah, nothing like putting the pressure on, guys. This what is are a, we bringing? Um, I'm bringing spaghetti. What do, you, what do you have in mind? Well, I normally try to eat meat. All right. Uh, so steak and spaghetti. We're going to bring it today. Um, mm. We're not giving advice. We're giving education. We're registered with the SEC, but they don't give us any kind of approval or thumbs up or anything else. Um, we're bald. We're bearded. Uh, you, you've got one you want to throw in there. There's another important disclosure in here. Well, the information we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Or unsaid information, for that matter, because unsaid oh, information oh, we will... give... 
full guarantee and warranty that it is incomplete. I will warrant that all unsaid information is unsaid. FOB Detroit. Sorry. Had yeah. To, had to finish that up. Okay. And the very, very last thing before we start talking 10 minutes into the hour about actually what we're here to talk about is that we're not paying for this radio spot. This is not paid commercial programming. We don't pay the station and they don't pay us. We've been doing this program for free for a long time. I'm coming up on 25 years now. In February, I'll be doing, I'll have been doing this program with you for 25 years. And I think I did it for a year before you came on board. Yeah. So it'd be, yeah, I think it's around 26 years we've been doing this. So that's a long time to not get paid for Saturday mornings. So that's all right. We're, we're okay with that. I'm just, this is the equivalent of humble bragging in that we're saying we're martyrs, but we're fine. We're fine. I guarantee, I, I assure you. Um, okay. So why are we doing it for free? I get that question because there's nothing out there that helps people understand what's going on. If you read the Wall Street Journal, most of what you read, you don't know what it means. So this is kind of our give back. We do get some clients out of this and the studio advertises for us and we advertise for, or advertises for this radio program and we pay money to advertise for the radio program as well. So, Senator, there is no quid pro quo. Or any other Latin word, especially not um, bad ones. Right. Right. Okay. So what happened this week in the market? It went up. Anything, do you need anything else? The market went up? The Is that inflation US, or what, what happened there? What, the what? United States stock market. It, and we it, use... It gained the, elevation. We use the Standard & Poor's 500 stock index. As our uh, rough outline, as our as our indicator, as our main indicator, we have two indicators we use for the market, but that's the main indicator we use because a it's the oldest and b not it's the, fairly it's fairly widest widely not really reported. the oldest. Well, you've got records on the S and P five hundred. Whether you can argue about whether they're accurate or not, that go back into the eighteen hundreds, whereas the Dow Jones Industrial Average started early in the century, this century, right. or last century. I'm in the wrong century. Some Boy, century. is that an understatement? Um, anyway, we use the, uh, the S and B 500 index and technically I always put in here SPX. Why? Because there's actually several ways of measuring the S and P 500 index, which is a, a universal truth about during nearly everything economic. There are multiple ways to measure it. Yes. And as a result, if the SPX measurement is a very specific, it's called the price index. Uh, it doesn't include dividends and I know that sounds goofy, but anyway, it, it all sounds goofy. We're, we are in the esoteric frame of mind about conceptual nothings, but it all means something to us somehow. Yes. Well, the SPX, the S&P 500 stock index, rose 1.45% for its first week of the year. And it was a, since the new year occurred on a weekend, it was indeed a full week, and it rose 1.45%. Now, this would be interesting. Let's annualize that. No. We have a 75% rise in the S&P 500 yeah, this year. that's not realistic. That's not oh, realistic. Okay. To, I mean, okay. It'd be okay. nice. I mean, but for some reason, I don't think every week of the year is going to be like the first week of the year. Well, you could multiply 1.45% 52 times. Yeah. And see what comes out. It's, and it's a very, very large amount. And yeah. Yeah, but when the GDP is released each quarter, they don't tell you how much the gross domestic product rose in a quarter when the uh, they annualize when inflation, 
when yeah. inflation monthly monthly inflation is released, they give it they annualized, they, or quarterly inflation. They give it as if it was for the full year. Yeah. Um, why not just go ahead and do that with the stock market? Because no, uh, yeah, no that wouldn't work. <laughs> <laughs> None of it works and actually. Is, and I actually want to talk about that a little bit later on about the fact that we have a very distorted view of inflation. Yes. Because it's annualized. And, and not just annualized, but annualized for one year ago, rather right. than what's happening at this moment, we're comparing to what's happened in the last year. Right. Which and we're means treating you, it if you look like at it's that a current event. Right. If you look at that number, you can't tell what's happened recently. That could have all happened at the beginning of that 12 month period. Mm -hmm. Anyway, anyway, back to the market. The S&P 500 rose 1.45%. It closed out the week at 3895.08. Now, when we go over that number, and who pays any attention to that number? Actually, there's a good thing to look at here. It's getting close to 4,000 again. And psychologically, 4,000 on the S&P 500 is an important number. Um, 4,000, if it gets to 4,000 again and stays above 4,000, uh, it will be above some moving averages that traditionally have indicated that the bear market is effectively over. It hasn't gotten back up to where it was before it started down again uh, at the beginning of last year. As a matter of fact, uh, it's it's the year to date, by the way, is 1.45%. The week is 1.45%. So we had a year to date performance in one week. Of course, it was the first week of the year, so that makes it interesting. Anyway, it is down 16.72% from where it was a year ago, which was at the beginning of last year, which is the same as the year anyway. Um, <laughs> it is up It is up almost 9, 8.72% from the low in, in on October 12th. It's up 74% from March of 2020 when we had the bottom of the COVID downturn. And it's up about 19% in a three-year period. Why do I put all those numbers in there? Because if you are investing rather than speculating, and I don't think we have a lot of speculators who listen to us on the radio because we're not speculators, a 19% return, not counting dividends, over the last three years is darn good. So if you are truly an investor and you're looking at a three-year trailing return right now, the market is distinctly up. If you are looking at one-year which makes you a form of speculator, the market is down. And that's the thing to keep your eye on if you're a long-term investor, is not the short-term returns, but the long-term returns. We follow another index, the CRSP Mid-Cap Value Index, which, why do we follow that? The S&P 500, and for that matter, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, are composed of very large companies with very large uh, valuations of stock traded and they tend, particularly the S&P 500, tends to be dominated by growth-oriented companies where investors are, in essence, betting that the future earnings of these companies will be higher than their current earnings, and they don't care what the underlying companies were. The value side of the market is the side where stocks are priced primarily according to their intrinsic value, as if you would break the company up and sell it. Uh, how much would people pay for it? And you divide that number by the number of shares out there. And if it's below that number, then it's a value stock. That's rough, but it's close enough. So the mid-cap value aren't large companies. They're mid-cap, mid-sized companies. And they are not growth-oriented. They're value-oriented. So their price is based on their underlying value. And so let's talk about that index. Um, the CRSP 
mid-cap value index. Ended the week at 2412.07. It was up 3.10% in the first week, uh, almost double what the S&P 5, well, it was over double what the S&P 500 did. It is only down 7% from its high at the beginning of 2022. And that is a fundamental change in the way the market is working right now. For a long time, growth, for the last 10 years, basically, growth has dominated the market. Uh, over the very long term, academic studies have strongly suggested but, that value stocks will outperform growth stocks. Yeah, growth stocks are like the startups, the ones that are being fed loaned money or venture capital, which is in essence loaned money that's going to get yanked back at some point. Well, Microsoft is a growth stock. Right. Tesla is a growth stock, and they're not exactly startups. No, uh, but they are considered growth stocks because the area that they are growing in is startup. So Microsoft's big push right now is in cloud computing. Same with Amazon. Amazon makes more profit from the cloud computing side than from the other side. That doesn't mean they have more revenue, more profit. Mm -hmm. Uh, the majority of their profit is now coming from hosting stuff on the web rather than selling stuff to you and having it delivered. The overhead on delivery is higher. It's profitable, but not as profitable as the other side of the business. So that's a startup side. And they took a lot of loans to do that with. And when yeah. you see Microsoft laying people off, it's because they're using loans to do the startup side of what they're doing, the research side of what they're doing. And that's why they're a growth company. Or it's why Amazon's a growth company because they're still spending money on stuff that's new and it's still venturing out into a strange area that might have higher risks and might not. I mean, anyway, there's ahead. a shift been reported, which happens from time to time historically, where the value side of the market for the last year has outperformed the growth side of the market. And historically, when these shifts occur, they last for some time. Again, and when we tend to follow this, academic studies again and again and again have pointed out that over the very long term, over decades, the value stocks as a group that are traded in the United States tend to outperform the growth stocks. For the last decade, that was a really bad bet for the short term. All right. But so it seems to be reversing itself. What, what we're trying to say here is there's... Um, and we said this in a very esoteric and, and scholarly sort of way, a major change just happened in the market. These are kind of cycles. And when we watch these cycles beginning, it's exciting for those of us that are uh, nerdly minded. Um, but this is the first episode of the year. And we skipped yes. two episodes and played best of at the end of last year. So a lot has happened. Since we were live and in living color, a lot. We have a lot to talk about. We've got people asking questions as well. What, what were you going to say? Uh, there's another big change that's taken place. And it, changed place, it took place at the one. same time in the market. Okay. Uh, a major shift has occurred in the market. And typically, as I was looking back, I had, couldn't find any references to it, but I can see that it appears to be a normal event. When... Interest rates are falling over a long period of time. Two things tend to occur. Growth stocks tend to outperform value stocks. And bonds act like they're stocks in a bull market. They keep rising because the more interest rates fall, the more the value of bonds in the secondary market, the, the market value of bonds rise. But when interest rates rise, the market value of bonds fall. We went through a period of falling interest rates from about 1982 
until basically last year. And in the last two years, particularly, interest rates have turned around and started rising and very specifically a lot last year. Uh, as a percentage from the starting point, we have seen the fastest rise in one year of interest rates in the United States that we've ever had. Now, if you count points, like if 1% to 2% is one point, you could say, well, they haven't risen that much. But if you count the fact that the difference between 1% and 2% is 100% gain, 100% change in interest rates, woo, that's a big change. And that's what's happened in the last year. So we actually saw and different indexes have different results here. But a somewhere between 13.5% and 15% fall in the value of bond indexes in the United States last year, which is another massive sea change. And this type of event historically seems to coincide with the reversal of growth stocks to value stocks. And there's a really good reason for that. Jake pointed it out. When people are borrowing money to increase earnings in a company, and the growth companies do that, if borrowing is cheap, if interest rates are 1% and 2%, they can borrow a lot of money to pump up their growth rates, by, to market and to do all kinds of things. But when interest rates start back up again, it becomes more and more expensive to have that borrowed money on the books. As interest rates go up, growth companies' profitability tends to fall because in many cases, they have a lot of what's called leverage, which is borrowed money. And their borrowed money typically is float. In other words, the interest rates is short-term borrowing with floating interest rates. So it becomes more expensive for them to keep that borrowed money on the books, which lowers their profitability, which means their price of the stocks go down. It's a pretty interesting thing to dig into, but it's pretty complex. So the benchmark yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note fell to 3.55% from last week's 3.71. That's beautiful. Mainly for the same news that seems to cause stocks to rise, and we can talk about that. Uh, basically, that, that uh, the unemployment dropped to 3.5% and, and the wage growth has slowed down nicely. But we'll talk about that later in the show. Let's talk about the markets. Um, the six-month T-bill, though, is yielding 4.79, with the 10-year Treasury note yielding 3.71, which means the yield curve is still inverted, which historically, in about 90, 80 to 90% of the cases, has indicated a recession is coming. But it might not this time. So, so we got that. Now, this is what's interesting. Interest rates have risen 120% in the last two years. Get that. Interest rates are up 120%, causing bonds to general to lose more market value in 2022 than any time since records have been kept. Because bond values fall on the secondary market as interest rates rise. West Texas Intermediate crude oil fell over 8% to $73.76 per barrel. That should make a lot of people happy because it means the price of gasoline and diesel fuel and so on will be coming down in the not-too-far-distant future. Uh, and why did it come down? Because the rest of the world is either in or sliding into recession pretty much, except the United States, uh, which is something else we can talk about. Uh, let's see here. That's the markets. Okay. And you have something to say. I can tell immediately. Go ahead. Okay. Then let's talk about the big picture in the last 10 minutes here for just a little bit. Lawrence Summers, who used to be Secretary of the Treasury and is considered to be a pretty deep thinker when it comes to the big picture global economy, made a statement that on Bloomberg TV, no less, 
that things have changed. And I happen to agree with him tremendously. There is a, we talked about this at the beginning of the program, but there's a fundamental shift has occurred in the global economy and in the U.S. economy. And it's probably a good idea to pay attention to it. There's a lot of, there's certainly an assumption that we can measure in the bond market right now that investors and bond traders are expecting very, very low interest rates to return in the near future. Probably not going to happen. They're expecting, because they're expecting inflation to descend and stay down like it was before the pandemic. Probably not going to happen. It's it's going to come down, but the Fed, instead of working hard as they did for the decade before the pandemic to try to raise inflation rates a little bit, um, is going to be faced with the issue of trying to hold them down. Why? There was a major event occurred that has been going on for a long time now, decades. And that is the entrance of China, started with Nixon, started with Richard Nixon, which tells you how long ago it was. The entrance of the third, the, the Asian worker into the global economic market, coming off of the farm behind an ox and providing very, 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 very low wages and low-cost manufacturing. It's run its course. The standard of living in China and India, by the way, India is about to pass China, or maybe we've already had passed China as the largest nation uh, in population. Their standard of living is going up. Their cost of living is going up. And as a result, the cheap labor is disappearing. And we've actually seen that start to happen. So this period of time that we had following the end of the Cold War, when huge chunks of the world suddenly came into the labor market and we could manufacture things very, very inexpensively is over. And by the way, that also happened a hundred years ago. Uh, And as a result of that, we're going to see a very different economy in the 2020s moving forward and into the 2030s, a very, very different economy. Um, Interest rates are going to be higher. Inflation is going to be steaming at the bit or whatever. Uh, frothing at the bit to move Steam, forward. Steaming the, at the bit. I like the mixed metaphor. You have touched, too, touched yeah. a nice spot in my heart with that one. That was nice. The Fed is going to be fighting inflation rather than trying to encourage inflation. So we're not going to see the ultra low interest rates we got used to. They're going to see higher normal interest rates, long-term history. 10-year treasury yields, which we consider to be high right now. We've talked about how high they're. They're 120% of what they were two years ago. And they're so high and it's, The long-term average over the past three decades of the 10-year Treasury yield was 3.89%. And we'll probably come back to that. It's called reversion to the mean. And so just get used to the fact that if you bought bonds in the past 10 or 15 years, they're going to be worth less today and into the future than they were when you bought them. That is a high probability, according to Lawrence Summers, and I happen to agree with him. We are seeing a major shift in the world economy like i said we're seeing we're going to see inflation figures start to pick up we're going to see shifts that we probably don't even anticipate at this point but it's a good idea to keep our eyes and ears open and make no assumptions that the recent past is the future because it's just not true uh interest rates will probably rise through this decade they're going to go up and down and up and down yeah they're going to come up to around like i said if you use the treasury come up to around 4%, maybe run up to a little a little above 5 and then come back down to 4, but they're never they're not going to be back down to 2 for a long long time. Uh that means that the price of houses housing sales have fallen more in 2022. Actually December had the largest 
the, the third quarter, I mean, sorry, the fourth quarter had the largest decline in housing sales in percentage terms that we've seen since we've been keeping records. It's only a matter of time to the price of those houses start to come down too. They've come down a little bit, about 3.7% average nationally, but they're almost certainly going to come down more in 2023. So the price of houses are going to come down. People are going to feel less wealthy. We're going to have to continue to plow forward doing some different things. But the, the important thing I want to make, and the important point I want to make, and, and, and John, earlier during the first hour, sent us in his newspaper article, uh, one of the articles he sent us even mentioned this, the 60-40 portfolio of bonds that is considered to be the normal balanced portfolio and the safe place to have your money didn't work this year. Didn't work in 2022. In the last 12 months, it was, it was really a bad idea. The article in the Wall Street Journal he sent us suggested that we look at other places to put money besides bonds as a balance to stocks. And we completely agree with that. Things, the important thing to recognize, and I've said this again and again and again, but it's important. It's different and it takes analysis and it takes thought and it's going to take planning to move forward. Don't make the assumption that what worked over the last 40 years is going to continue to work because that 40% of the bond portfolio was based on the assumption that interest rates will continue down forever because over 40 years, they have been coming down. The next 10 years, at least, they're probably going to be going up. So it's a big difference that we've seen. And it's one of those things that we have to reckon with in the world today. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, the world is changing, but it's changing to sort of what it's been before too. <laughs> yeah. You can see the patterns. They, they and, exist, and if, if you're, you know, when, when we're talking about whether it's a speaker election or what's going on with the economy or invasions and border shifts or any of that, there's not really anything new in any of this. It's just new to us. And Jorge Santayana said it very well. Those who do not con uh, remember history are condemned to repeat it, and that's truer than I can possibly say. So one of the really good things that I have been able to give as therapy to clients, therapy is not something I ever thought I would be doing, was to take a bigger look at what's happening politically, a bigger look at what's happening economically. Look at it in terms of history rather than getting into the not just the woods, but into the tiny little bushes on who's right politically, because people do that no matter what time you are. People get lost in this argument and don't realize where we are in history and that you should expect arguments like this right now. Um, we're changing. Historically, this is this kind of event politically and economically has led to spinoffs of additional parties politically in the United States. If you look at what was happening in 1860, and if you look at when you were talking about the last time we had this many votes for the Senate, or I mean votes for the Speaker, um, or you even look back 100 years ago into the 1920s when we had two votes for a Speaker. When a party is in power but can't make a decision in its own majority, it generally means should probably be two parties and it's not acting like that right now. So these are, these are just little behavior things that we see in history. And it's not like we didn't know that talking about the Republicans right now, but the Democrats have the same thing going on. They're 
center and their extreme end are just as fractured as the center and extreme end of the Republican Party. It really looks like we have four parties here and the people on the extremes of both the left and the right are pretty close together in a lot of stuff. So I'll even I'll <laughs> even make a based on history, the probability is very high that the Republican Party will split this year and there will be a third party going into the next presidential election. Now, based on history, you generally need a statesman to step forward, even if it's just a very braggadocio statesman, to come forward and bring enough people out of the tent to make a new party. I mean, Andrew Jackson didn't win the nomination as as uh, his party, and that's why he formed the Democrat Party. Uh, it was a third-party issue, and and the party that he was a part of is no longer a party. It's gone. Uh, it wasn't Andrew Jackson that did it, but it was one step in the, on, the, on the road. So lots, lots going on right now. We live in calamitous and interesting times, and it's really cool to open our eyes every once in a while and look around and say, people are going to be studying this stuff. The pandemic, what we did economically afterwards, what happened during the Great Recession, I was living in it, and I didn't realize that it was going to be so much material for study. So seeing all that, we talked about it during the pandemic and the lockdown, that there's more stuff happening right now to study than has been compacted into a short time period ever. Uh, so we're excited about the future. Uh, we're excited about even if we have a recession, things are good. We're almost out of time, but I want to say what would cause the extra spending to stop. Right. If people saw deflation begin to take place, this is when people stop spending, and yeah. they think it'll be they they save money by waiting to buy something, then the extra spending would stop. Right, and when we get back down to a level that feels uncomfortable, when you look at the bank balance, and that's a behavioral question, nobody knows when that point will be. People will stop spending their money. Once their bank account balances and their money market balances get low enough. And their credit card rates get, positions get higher. Right. And all things being equal, that's somewhere in September of 2023. Mm -hmm. So just be aware of that out there. Well, so so we, we're out, we, can't, money. we we got to wrap up for this hour and go yeah. to next hour because we're almost, we've got more to talk about on that subject. Hopefully this is enough to leave a cliffhanger. If you'd like to talk us to us off the air, we do give individualized custom fiduciary investment advice and portfolio management. Uh, the phone number for our office during uh, locally is 254-947-1111 or, or, or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, contact us through the contact form or email us through jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. You can listen to podcasts and so on. Until next hour, this is the Personal Wealth Coach.